Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Hey, thank you so much, uh, Pastor. I just love your pastors here at Hills Church. What a great place. You know that I like to come here and kind of have the opportunity to feel like I'm coming home. When I travel to different churches, I don't always have that experience, but here at Hills Church, I feel like I'm coming home. So what we want to do is we want to give a copy of this book to somebody whose birthday is today. Is it anybody's birthday today? Is your birthday today? Not a family member's birthday. Anybody's birthday today? How about yesterday or tomorrow? Okay, come on up. Come on up. We're going to give you this book. Come on. There you go, brother. Hey, I heard about this church because I know about it. I've been here before. This church is a church that believes in the Bible. Is that right? Is this a Bible-believing church? You actually, okay, that's good. Well, listen, I'll tell you, since this is a Bible-believing church and I know that about you, I want to read a passage of Scripture that I'll bet you're very familiar with. How many of you have heard of the Lord's Prayer before? You've heard the Lord's Prayer? It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Let's read it together. It'll be on the screens. Matthew 6, verse 9 to 11. Just the last little part of it. It said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Read it one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm a pastor and a speaker and a writer, and so I have literally read this passage many times. I've prayed this prayer many times. I've spoken about this text many times, and I have believed this text many times. But about 10 years ago, I had a spiritual crisis in my life. It literally was a crisis moment because I was reading over this passage just in my regular devotions. I wasn't getting ready to teach. I was just reading over this section of scripture and I was reading over it. And as I did, I was reading kind of quickly because you know sometimes that's what you do when you're familiar with a passage. I was reading kind of quickly. And as I was reading quickly, all of a sudden, I felt like God told me, stop. And I had a little conversation with God. And I don't know if it ever happens with you that way. It was not out loud, but it's just in my mind, my heart, my spirit. I had a little conversation with God. While I was reading that passage, I came to a moment where God stopped me and he asked me a very bracing question, but it wasn't in the form of a question. It was more of a rhetorical question that presumed a specific answer. Now, when I was in uh, Bible school and pastor school, they tell you to be vulnerable and transparent up front, but not too vulnerable. So right now I'm going to be sort of vulnerable and tell you something, but I'm begging of you not to stop listening to me, Okay because there's a good end of this. 10 years ago, I'm having that conversation with God just in my mind, my heart, my spirit, and I feel like God asked me this question. John, when you read that passage that says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you don't really believe that, do you? And folks, I gotta be honest. As soon as that question was asked in my heart, my mind, my spirit, I know what my answer was. My answer was, well, No, of course not, I don't believe that. Every time I had ever read that passage, sort of unknowingly, I had tapped into what I call the Hallmark card syndrome. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're buying a card for the person that you love, a family member, a loved one. You're gonna give them a card that expresses your love and appreciation for them. Do you shop for cards on the basis of what you hope is the emotional response? I do. My wife will buy cards for me sometimes and boom, just reading the words will produce a flood of emotions in me. 
And so I take my time. When I'm buying a card for my wife especially, I will take my time. I'll try to get the, 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 the words on the card, whether it's Hallmark or any other brand, that will just express this amazing thing and bring her to tears. That's the hope. Buy a card, make my wife cry. That's the hope. That's, like, that's the penultimate standard. Like That's a husband win. And I'm always in need of husband points, so I'm always looking for that. So let me ask you this. Have you ever read one of those cards that expresses those amazing sentiments and you read it and emotion welled up within and you knew it was going to cause emotion in somebody else, but you knew that you knew that the expression of the hoped for circumstance that was in the card and your lived reality, there was a big gap. Like, come on. I've been married 43 years. It's wonderful. I love my wife. I'd cut up my right and left arm and give my life for her. The reality is though, folks, sometimes it's not all that in a bag of chips. Sometimes there's stress and strain, and sometimes it's challenging, and sometimes the sentiment expressed in the card is nowhere near what we're experiencing. So every time I read that passage, especially this verse, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I clicked into sentimentality, Hallmark card kind of moment. Jesus didn't really believe that, or did he? Or did he? That was my crisis a decade ago. And the decade that's gone on, I have not been able to get away from that. Like, why is it that every time I read about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, that I kind of click into, yeah, 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 that's not reality. The more I've dug into it, the more I've come to believe that it actually is the will of God as Jesus prayed. It actually is the will of God that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know how you imagine heaven to be, but I promise you this. However you imagine heaven to be, it's not what you're experiencing in your everyday. Anybody say amen to that? Like, is that okay? Our everyday is nowhere near what we believe for when we think about heaven, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. We think about heaven as being that place of perfection and peace and relationship and joy and harmony, and our everyday life is anything but. So as I had that crisis, I began to think about the whole idea of grace, about grace, God's love and his favor and his care and his kindness for us. And I began thinking about that, and I thought about the the fact that God has given grace to us and we've received his amazing grace. But the more I thought about that, I thought about, I don't think God wants us just to receive grace. I think he wants us to distribute grace. He wants us not only to receive it, but he wants us to distribute it. In fact, one of the sayings I've done is that I believe that grace distributed is the call of God for this present hour. I believe that grace distributed is what God is wanting to do on planet Earth. Now, I, you know that I'm a lover of the church. I, I tell people all the time, uh, I'm trying to say it too much publicly, but this is probably being recorded. I say, I love Jesus, I love the family, and I love the church. You'd be surprised as the president of a Christian college, I actually don't love higher ed. Now, I believe in higher ed, I believe in the power of God to change people's hearts through the process of education and training, but I I don't love higher ed. I love Jesus. I love the family, and I love the church. Everything else is just sort of equipping us to be effective in our love for Jesus and our love for our families and our relationships in the family of God, the household of faith. But I am a college president, so I got to give you one quick study from history, okay? 500 years ago, 500 years ago, there was a Catholic priest. His name was Martin. And he got so upset with the church at that time, like people get upset with the church in our time, 
that he went to his church and he took this big, huge thing he had written out and he nailed it to the church wall. You think you have problems in vandalism in your church. Well, this is what happened. He took, the, he took this thing called 95 Theses, 95 Statements Against the Church of the Day, and he nailed it against the wall. He's a Catholic priest nailing it up against the Catholic church. He's upset. And he's frustrated. And that caused a whole thing that we call the Reformation. In the process of that Reformation, we said we believe in grace received. And some of you have had the amazing experience. You know that God's love is not something you earn. It's grace received. It's God's unmerited favor, his kindness and his love. You know that Jesus loves me is one of the most pure statements in all of the the human experience. God loves you. Jesus loves me. We did a really good job proclaiming and accepting grace received. But I got to tell you, there was one more thing in the Protestant Reformation that we didn't do so well at. In the Protestant Reformation, we said we not only believed in grace received, but we believed in the priesthood of all believers. In short, the priesthood of all believers means that you no longer need an intermediary between you and Jesus. You, as a man or woman who believes in Jesus, as a young man or young woman, you have direct access to God. Yes, we still need pastors and teachers and leaders, but the priesthood of all believers says that you have direct access to God, that God has a purpose for your life. For 500 years, the Protestant church at least has proclaimed that we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And I believe for 500 years, we've demonstrated that we do not. You ever seen the original Star Trek? The only pure and holy one? The the original Star Trek? You remember that, that, that one of Captain Kirk's famous things that he would say to Scotty is, beam me up, Scotty. And he was always pretty agitated and he had to be beamed up from the planet or he would go from the ship or the transporter beam and beam down. If you've never seen this, you have missed this part of your life, okay? So there was a transporter beam that would beam you up or beam you down. And I've always wondered this. If God really wanted to make an impact on the planet, why didn't God set it up this way? Why didn't God say it this way? Why didn't he say, look, if you will receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you'll receive forgiveness of your sins and what Jesus did on the cross when he died for us while we were yet sinners, if you would receive Jesus, then the second you receive Christ, boom, I'll beam you up to heaven. I personally believe that would make an impact on our planet, right? If all of a sudden, every time somebody literally surrendered their heart to Jesus, boom, they disappeared. People would figure this out. I think people would go like, whoa, that's my ticket to ride. Okay, so three of you got that. Okay, so that's my, t- that's my ticket out of here. So the reality is this. God does not beam us up when we come to know Jesus. What is that? I think he doesn't beam us up on purpose. I think the reason why you don't get beamed up is that God actually plans for us to stay here. That he has a plan for our lives. And part of what I want to convince you in the next few moments is that God's plan for your life is a powerful plan. It's an amazing mission. You have an assignment on the planet. You don't just come into a building like this for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday and kind of look forward and experience and go out and live your life and have no purpose or meaning. Your life Every breath that you take has an eternal destiny upon it. Let me give you one more scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, or excuse me, verse 17 to 21. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21, the apostle Paul says this. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That, by the way, is great news. Some of you in this room, some of you watching this online, you need to hear that. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, and by the, word, the way, the word implore actually means beg. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, the amazing reality is that grace, God's love, his favor, and his kindness has come to his planet. One of the greatest messages that you can share with anybody and that you can receive yourself is that God loves you. The God who made heaven and earth knows you and cares about you. But beyond that, there's a secondary reality. So I want you, first of all, to know this, that grace has come to the planet How many of you recognize the phrase, bride of Christ? Bride of Christ is a phrase that's throughout scripture that describes the church. And for some of you in this room, especially for us guys, we go like, I don't so much relate to that. And maybe you don't relate to that, but let me just for a moment take you on a journey. Uh, If you've ever been a groom, and I may be, you know, dating myself a little bit, but if you've ever been a groom, for the most part, guys, your job is to show up where they tell you to show up, stand where they tell you to stand, and wear what they tell you to wear. And if you're a young guy and you're not married yet, just do what she asks, okay? Just show up where she says to show up, stand where she says to stand, and wear what she says to wear. It'll go much easier for you, okay? I'm just a little free marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling there. But if you're, if you're a typical groom, like beyond a little bit more than that, like that's all that you are thinking about in terms of the wedding experience itself. But if you're a bride, if you're a bride, it's typically and traditionally a radically different experience. I had the privilege to have three daughters. It was amazing. I told all three of my girls for several years, and, I, and if you're a parent of young boys, I'm sorry, I also had boys later on, but while my girls were growing up, I just said, look, here's what you need to know. In addition to loving Jesus, you need to know this. Boys are bad. They're guilty till proven innocent. And they're never innocent. I said until 23, that's all you need to know. So the reality is I had the privilege of having three girls and those three girls, my wife and I raised them, developed them. They all three had weddings. How many of you know that at least traditionally speaking, a bride is not passive during a wedding. The entire process of a bride is actively engaged. The bride has a vision in her mind, has maybe lots of friends helping her. Being a bride is an active reality. I'm convinced of this. God has left you on this planet as the bride of Christ so that you could actively be engaged in the mission of the Father. You, if you know Jesus, are part of the bride of Christ, and that is not a passive experience. Number two, we've been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to God, and he gave us the message of reconciliation. My friends, what an amazing thing is that. If you're God, and think for a moment, CEO, If you're God sitting up in the heavenlies and you've got this message of your love and kindness and willingness to forgive and wipe the past clean and make all things new and you're sitting up in heaven and you're going to entrust that message to somebody, you do entrust it to Jesus, your son. 
You have Jesus, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, who doesn't consider his position in heaven, something he's unwilling to give up, but he lets himself come to this earth, be born as a helpless babe in a manger, grow up to be a man hanging on a cross. One of the last words he said is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I trust Jesus. But if you're God for just a moment, just imagine that for just a moment, if you're God, I don't trust me with the message. And to be honest, sorry, I don't trust you either. If I'm God, I figure out some other way to bring the message to the planet of his love. But the testimony of scripture from the first page to the last is that God has entrusted you with the message of his love for the world. God has a redeeming heart for the world. God sees the people out there, even if they protest on the edge of the church, which by the way has nothing to do with this church, whether they protest on the edge of the church or whether they're in your neighborhood or the crank in the cubicle next door or the person on your street who's so ridiculously difficult to deal with, God has placed you on this planet to be able to demonstrate his love to be able to share with people the desire that the God of heaven and earth wants to be reconciled. And he left that message with you. I want you to hear this, that God loves you so much. But he not only loves you so much, he loves the world. You're probably familiar with John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world. He gave his own, you know that passage, right? He gave his only begotten son. What you may not know is John three seventeen, the verse that's just after it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. It is the will of God that everybody come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. It's the will of God that everybody receive his love. And he's determined that you and me are carriers of that. So that's the third thing I want you to hear is that you actually have a heavenly ambassadorship. You have an assignment from heaven to bring heaven to earth. I believe when Jesus prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that wasn't a Hallmark card sentimentality. That was actually a declaration of the will of God from heaven to this earth that God wants to accomplish through sons and daughters of the Most High. You represent Jesus to the world that you're in. Got any difficult family members? Some of you have family members where you go, nope, not true. Not true. That person cannot be genetically related to me. You look at a family reunion, you look at them, go, it's not, it's not true. It's not possible. Somehow there's a mess up in the archives. That person cannot be related to me. Others of you have family members who are so commercial grade sandpaper in your life. They just, oh my goodness, being with them causes anxiety and frustration and anger and irritation. And when you think about that, you go like, why? And you ask, why are they in your family? And I got to tell you, with a lifetime of experience, that's the wrong question. The question is, why did Jesus put me in relationship with them? I don't think the address of your home is an accident. I think where you live is an assignment. I've told you before, I don't think the address of this church is an accident. It's your assignment. Yes, you're called to reach the whole world. Yes, you're called to reach people whose names you will never know. Absolutely. But I can promise you this. You are on this location because God has sovereignly and specifically assigned this church family to be faithful to reach this community. 
That is your fundamental assignment. And by the way, each one of you, whatever street you live on, wherever you work, those are assignments from God. We are ambassadors. We literally beg the world to be reconciled. You ever see stuff on TV that makes you mad? You ever read stuff in your news feed that gets you agitated? You ever think about the condition of our world and get frustrated? Well, if so, you're in really good shape. Did you know that every person that makes you mad, every social situation that gets you frustrated, every cultural reality that gets you agitated, that the solution that God has for that is the power of his Holy Spirit operating through men and women who love Jesus to be present in those parts of culture and bring heaven to earth. So let me share you two things that I think uh, are a problem, a real challenge. First one is what I call the sacred secular divide. Um, I believe, I'm 61, I believe in my whole life this, this uh, deception has been around. This deception says that this is a sacred space. And coming midweek is sacred. And being part of serve day is sacred. And maybe if you do prayer and Bible study in, in the morning at home, that's sacred. But all the rest of life is secular. That's what I call the sacred secular divide. So when you go to work, when you go to the gym, when you walk the dog in the neighborhood, when you're changing the baby's diapers at home, when you're taking out the trash, when you're doing the dishes, fixing the meal, talking to your neighbor, trying to be calm, all that stuff is secular. But this stuff is sacred. Friends, can I tell you, this is sacred. This is a holy moment. You came to this place today, whether you're watching online or in this room, you came to this place thinking that you were doing a certain thing. Actually, the God of heaven and earth came to meet you today. This is a divine moment. It's sacred, but can I tell you this? All the rest of life is sacred. There's not one dimension of your life that is not redeemed by the God who loves you. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. That means when you're taking out the trash, and folks, I do it at my house all the time, it means when I'm taking out the trash, that's actually a sacred moment. Doesn't feel like it, but it is a sacred moment. It means when I'm walking in the neighborhood and talking to the neighbors, that's actually a sacred space. Did you know in any moment you can have an experience where the presence of God will invade and you'll have an opportunity to speak, to love, to care, to demonstrate kindness and be the presence of God to bring heaven to earth? Sacred secular divide is a huge issue. Now the second one. I want to ask you, I'm not angry whatsoever, but I'm, I'm intense on this particular point. If you um, do not work full-time in vocational ministry, in other words, if, if church or a parachurch ministry is not your fundamental vocation, but you work in the marketplace somehow, or if, or if you're a, a person who's, who's at home or retired, I want to I speak a very specific word, and I want you to listen very carefully. I'm not angry. I'm just intense. If you work outside of vocational ministry, I want to say this about your marketplace responsibility. Your vocation is not a curse. Your vocation is not a curse. It's a calling. You are not where you are in the marketplace on accident. You are where you are in the marketplace on assignment. And I apologize already in the first service to Jonathan, but just people like us, and and it's not my heart, and I know it's not Jonathan's heart, but people like us sometimes will unintentionally give the message in a church. And again, it's unintentional, but sometimes we'll give the message that if you really love Jesus, you will be a pastor or a missionary. 
But if you don't love Jesus that much, then go ahead and go work in the marketplace, make a lot of money, give money to the church, and then you can be an usher at work in children's ministry. We never say that out loud. But sometimes that's what you receive. And if you have ever received that message on behalf of the church of Jesus Christ, I want to apologize to you. I want to confess to you that that message is from the pit of hell. You are an ambassador of heaven. If you know Jesus as your savior, every day of your life is sacred. Every day of your life is, is, is given to the Lord. It's not a secular, sacred divide. And you are an ambassador of Christ. Now, I'm gonna do two more things. Two more things and I'm gonna close. But I've been here enough so you should know this. When pastor says he's gonna close, that is not 60 seconds. So don't you dare be getting all your stuff and going like, okay, he's almost done. No, 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 I'm not almost done. I got five minutes, okay? But there's gonna be two things. Number one, I'm gonna tell you a story. Number two, I'm gonna read a Bible verse and I'm gonna pray over you. Here's the story I'm gonna tell you. I just try to, in my relationship with God, just try to stay open. He's gotta keep teaching me sometimes the two by four method. has to keep hitting me with the two by four. So about six months ago, I felt like the Lord convicted me. Like, John, you spend a lot of time in restaurants. I do, okay? I spend a lot of time in restaurants and I uh, meet with a lot of people, have coffee, stuff like that. And so I felt like I was saying, look, John, you need to redeem. You need to think of that time as sacred and you need to live in that space. So last six months, to my knowledge, I've never gone to a restaurant. The last six months, maybe 40, 50, 60 times, 100 times, I've never gone to a restaurant without doing this. When a server comes to the table, and by the way, I used to work in a restaurant, so I have a little sensitivity to how servers experience us. So um, when a server comes to the table, I'll say, hey, what's your name? They'll tell me their name, guy or gal. And, and then I'll say, um, hey, uh, thanks for taking our order. Uh, two things, um, when, I, when we get our meal, I like to pray for our food. So we're gonna be praying for our food. But also I wanna let you know, I, just, I like to pray for people who serve us. So in addition to praying for the meal, I want to pray. Is there one thing that I could pray for you? That's all. I, I don't preach. I don't raise, you know, don't use a preacher voice. I don't do anything like that. I just say, is there anything I could pray for you about? One thing. And, and so it's been interesting over the last six months, probably four times I've had people say, excuse me just a minute. And they've walked away from the table. And I thought, oh my goodness, what did I say wrong? Or, you know, did they hear the ding of the chef in the, in the kitchen and orders ready or what? And then they'll come back sometimes one, two, three minutes later moisture in their eyes. And I've had people say to me, you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm going through right now. The idea that you would ask to, I'm getting emotional now thinking about a couple of these. You, you have no idea what it means to have somebody be willing to pray for me right now. Second kind of response I get is um, people go like, oh my goodness, that's awesome. Yes. If you're a praying person, could you pray about this? And they've got one, two, three things already to pray for. They're really excited. But there is a third kind of response, and I want to tell you how I've learned to react to it. The third kind of response is when people say, um, uh, hmm, hey, I, like, I'm not really a religious person, so the idea that, you, I don't, like, I don't know what to tell you, to, but pray for good health or something. Pray, pray for, you know, to, it to be a good day. And, and I'll say, okay, I will. But there's one other thing I'd like to pray for, and just ask your permission. Could I pray that today is the best day in tip income you've ever had in your life? Now, if you're a server, by the way, you go like, yeah, bring it on. That's amazing. Please pray for that. I didn't know you could pray for that kind of stuff. I just feel like that interaction is a, is a little sun drop of heaven in the midst of a busy restaurant. Let me read Colossians chapter two. Colossians two, verse six and seven. 
So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know your current reality, but this I know. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are an ambassador of heaven. There's no such thing as a sacred secular divide. Your vocation is not a curse. It's a calling. And in the everyday realities of life, God longs for you to bring his love and kindness and goodness and grace. Even in the midst of yucky, messy, life full of disequilibrium, you are the loving presence of Jesus. So would you close your eyes? With your eyes closed, I'm going to ask that that there be a revolution in your life, that you would no longer think of life as sacred and secular. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you now in your personal space, in the contours of your individual life assignment. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in such a way where he reveals to you where he wants you to demonstrate grace. Not just grace received, that's awesome. And by the way, if you do not know what it is to have your sins and past forgiven and to have a present that's free and a future that's exciting, then today's the day where the God who made you longs to let you know that he loves you. But I'm gonna pray for, if you are a follower of Christ, that you not only will have received his grace, but that you'll know that you are an ambassador of grace. That distributing grace is the call of God on your life right now. Holy Spirit, whether men and women, boys and girls are watching online or whether they're in this room right now, I thank you for this divine moment, a moment to encounter the one who loves us, a moment to encounter the one who loved us so much then that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. The one who loved us so much that the very spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us as a down payment an engagement ring of sorts, demonstrating your love for us. So now, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us about our family, about our neighborhood, about our job, about the people we go to the gym with, about the people we spend other time in recreation with, about our church community. May this church be ambassadors of grace in every setting for your glory and honor. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.